Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he's going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The Christian race is not typically smooth and convenient. Uh, you know, it's funny how many different uh, inventions we made. My son said, wouldn't it be great just to have a drone that could pick up our stuff? You know, it's like take our backpacks and get it over to the spot. And I'm thinking, why even have a drone just to take the backpacks? Just take me. You know, the Christian race is not smooth and convenient. There's ups and downs. There's pebbles in the shoes. There's, there's things that rub on our so shoulders. It's, it's not an easy race. In fact, how many of you have ever felt like giving up on the Christian race of faith? You see, all Christians are tempted to quit. But actually, quitting is not a valid option for the Christian. And that's why the book of Hebrews consistently warns the Christian to keep on running the race of faith. In fact, the book of Hebrews can be read in about 45 minutes from, uh, from, from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end. Uh, and, and throughout it, you find all these, the, the, all these exhortations. In fact, there's a tension that develops in the book of Hebrews. There's a tension as you're exhorted to persevere in the faith, to keep on going. Um, in fact, if you don't keep on going, you're in trouble, right? You read any of those warning passages in Hebrews? But, but simultaneously, the tension that emerges is not just are you supposed to keep on going, but you're reminded about the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, that you can persevere, that, that you can persevere because he's going to preserve us. The focus of the Christian's faith must be on Jesus. And all throughout Hebrews, that's what he's doing. He's, he's just telling us Jesus is better. Jesus is is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the high priestly system. He's the object and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is better. In fact, before we get to that, really the conclusion or the climax of, of Hebrews, which is chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he, he showcases in chapter 11 all the broken saints of old that are just trying to run the race of faith that have ups and downs, who mess up, who falter. He gives us examples of the patriarchs, and that's really what we're starting here in, 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 in verse 8. He just gives us the examples of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and yet the context or the understanding of Hebrews 11, we, we see in, in verse 39 of chapter 10, but we are not like of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those of faith and preserve their souls. And that's the kind of people that we want to be. We want to be a people who walk by faith, who make it to the end, that finish the race, that, that go the distance, and specifically the text that we're looking at is, is going to show us what does a life of faith look like. And, and it's going to take the story of Abraham and Sarah, and through that story, we're going to see that people of faith submit to the Word of God. People of faith 
do not find their ultimate fulfillment here. And people of faith focus on the faithfulness of God. And so we can look at those three aspects of what does a life of faith look like. We'll see the first one in verse 8. People of faith submit to the word of God. They seek to hear and they seek to obey God. The writer of Hebrews communicates this in Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he'd received as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he's going. The imperative is to first understand is that a person's life of faith does not start with oneself. God is the initiator of faith. A life of faith begins with God. Verse 8, when he was called. God initiated Abraham's life of faith. You know, back in Genesis 12, verse 1, it says this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land which I'll show you. Can I tell you? This may come as a surprise, but Abraham was not initially a God-fearing person. Did you know that? Here he is living in the middle of a pagan city of 50,000 people known for their idolatry. And as they've excavated Ur of Chaldee, they've seen human sacrifice and, and all sorts of paganism. You see, Abraham was not the one that initiated this walk of faith. He was not a righteous person when God called him. And yet of all the people that were spread around the world at that time, the peoples of of South America or North America or Africa or even into Asia. God calls Abraham. You see, it is God who calls people to himself. We do not have saving faith because of our own efforts. You see, both the irreligious and the religious are both proven to be unrighteous. In the book of Romans, it's summed up in Romans 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of mankind is born unrighteous and the need of intervention. And that's why God gave us his law. And that's why God shows us that none of us can keep the law perfectly. We all need a savior. What we're told is God called 75-year-old Abraham to come out of idolatry and follow him. A life of faith not only begins with God, but a life of faith results in obedience to God. So, so what do we see in Abraham and Sarah? Sarah? Well, first of all, that, that people of faith submit to the word of God. But that, that really, that, that word of God, it begins with God, but a life of faith results in obedience to God's word. Verse 8 shares that Abraham obeyed and he went out. A person of faith doesn't just hear God's word, but they obey God's word. I think we have the best of intentions. I, I know in my own life, I, I've got the best of intentions to, to, to do all these things for God. But can I tell you, intentions do not declare faith. Obedience does. Um, for some, the commands of God are countered by excuses or clarifications. I, I can't obey because it's too difficult. I can't obey because I have other things to do. I mean, um, I'll obey if it results in something I like, or I'll obey if you'll just change and fill in the blank, right? But when Ab God called Abraham to leave the land of Canaan, we do not hear of any arguments. Abram did not check with Sarai or, he, or his father. He simply obeyed. Genesis 12, verse 5. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. A life of difficulty of Abraham's obedience is obvious. Abram's obedience to God meant that he left all of his extended family. 
He left all the comforts and the security. He packed up his goods and possessions and the age of 75 traveled a thousand miles to a land he never visited. In, 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 but in addition to a life of a faith resulting in obedience, a life of faith's, faith results in obedience even when we don't understand. <laughs> We're told in verse eight, look back there. He went out not knowing where he was going. You see, lacking an understanding of specific details does not sound enjoyable to me. I, like some of you, like to be in control. Are there any other control freaks here? Just let's, uh, we'll have therapy in just a little bit, okay? I remember a time when I was about 16, my dad surprised me. He just show, show, showed up at this birthday party. He said, hey, Will, get in the car. I had my own car. I said, what about my car? He said, don't worry about the car. We'll take care of that. Get in the car. And we jumped in his, his vehicle and, and he'd already packed it up. And we drove from Twin Falls, Idaho, all the way through Jackpot, Nevada, all the way down through Ely, Nevada, all the way down through Las Vegas. I thought, man, I, I, this is bad. Something's bad. Drove into Southern California, showed up to my cousin's house. It's four in the morning. My cousins, they're all popping out of their house, smiling. They're, they're, they know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. We jump into a boat. We go deep sea fishing for a couple days. Get back land. I'm like, okay, now what? And my dad just smiles. He's not telling me one word. We get in the car. We go to a doubleheader Dodger uh, baseball game. And my dad is having a great time because I am so out of control. This sounds bad, but the bottom line, I just, I just didn't want to trust my dad's plan. <laughs> my plan is a better plan. I, I'm, I, as long as I know my plan, that's a better plan. I can sympathize with Abraham. We know in Genesis 12 that God told him what to do. In fact, you could translate it this way. When God said, come out, he, he basically was saying, get out. He's saying, go, leave your descendants will be a great nation. They'll inherit a, the land of Canaan. They'll be a blessing to all the world. But, when, but God left Abraham with no idea of how it was going to work. Like, like he knew the eventual destination, but all this middle stuff, he had no clue. Do you ever feel like that? I really believe that God saved me. I really believe that my de eternal destination is heaven. But how many of you ever don't like the awkward middle? He said this, Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from a country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you and I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make you a great name and so that you'll be a blessing. And, and through the lens of history, Abraham's life of obedience was demonstrated how he, he responded to God's initiated crisis points all along the way. Abraham obeyed even though he could not see the whole picture. One pastor in New York summed it up this way. This is really, I, I kind of chuckled. He said, here's the story of Abraham's life. God said, get out. Abraham said, where? God said, I'll tell you later, just go. The Lord said, I'll give you this land. Abraham said, when? God said, I'll tell you later, just wander around in tents. The Lord said, I'll give you a son. Abraham said, how? God said, I'll tell you later, just wait around. The Lord said, slay your son. Abraham said, why? God said, I'll tell you later. Just walk up the hill. Take the knife. I'll tell you in time. You see, faith. Faith is responding and submitting to the word of God. Even when you don't understand. 
I think it's very helpful for us this morning just to consider it's not always easy to live a life of faith. We know Abraham and Sarah had plenty of stumbles, don't we? That's why, that's why it could be that some of us are tempted to falter in the middle of our obedience. If they did, so might we. It could be that through the normal circumstances and through God's word, he's led you to make certain choices and then all of a sudden it gets hard and now you're tempted to falter. Perhaps you prayerfully took a job. You said, Lord, I got this option, this option. Lord, I, I have an inclination here. This is what I think you want me to do. It, it wasn't for selfish gain. You're just submitting to God. You're being sensitive to the Spirit of God. You're, you're reading the Word of God. You're getting wise counsel. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't quite turn out the way you wanted. And now you're starting to falter. Maybe you're right in the middle of a, a difficult season of, of, of parental leadership and, and now you're, you're seeing some effect and by faith you're trying to do what God's word says and yet it doesn't seem to be quite working and you're just like, oh, I don't know. It could be that you're single and you're just tired of waiting on God and so you're considering rushing into a harmful relationship. It could be that you're married and you don't quite like where it's at and you're tempted to rush out of this relationship. Perhaps your spiritual growth is not progressing the way you thought it would be and so you're, you're tempted just to stop reading your Bible. Maybe somebody you love has not yet responded to the gospel and you're, you're just questioning, is it really worth sharing my faith? All of these circumstances are real temptations, aren't they? And yet, you know what a person of faith does? A person of faith hears the word of God and obeys the word of God even when they don't see the way. So can I ask just a couple of questions? I'd like to do this this morning specifically in this message as I really wrap up the point. I want to get just really explicit in the, in the, in the questions of application. Do you have a life of faith? Romans 10, verse 17 says, So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing through the word of God. Have you ever responded to the call of God? Remember, remember, Abraham hears the voice of God in the midst of his paganness, in the midst of his fallenness, in the midst of idolatry. He hears the voice of God. Have you ever turned from your own self-effort and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God the Son, alone to be your Savior? One of the most frustrating places to live is, is trying to be righteous without Jesus Christ. Are you obeying the salvation call of God? Hebrews, earlier, uh, verse 7 of chapter 4 says, Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Can I ask a second application question? Are you, are you living a life of obedient faith even when you don't understand and have answers to all your questions? Will I ever be married Will we ever have children? Will our marriage ever be happy? Will I ever be financially secure? Will I ever have complete victory over that temptation? Will my spouse ever be spiritual? Will my children ever really love God? It could be some of us have just stopped living a life of faith because we're distracted by all the events and all the problems around us. Can I tell you, the goal is Jesus. The goal is not to have answers for every question. You see, the people of faith, people of faith obey the word of God. What has God spoken to you? What has God given you? And primarily that's through his word. Through, primarily it's through his word ministering to our souls. But number two, people of faith do not find their ultimate fulfillment here. Verse nine and 10, they long to be with God. By faith, he went out to live in a land of promise. Verse nine, 
as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We, we need to understand something. Uh, people of faith do not find their ultimate fulfillment here, but, but the people of God, we need to understand we're created with the ability to enjoy and find pleasure in everything we interact with. That's how God's made us. That's why this is an issue. So, so we're not to find our ultimate here, but we were made with pleasure receptors. We're made with inclinations. I mean, so that there's good gifts all around us and we see that good gifts are from God. I mean, that's why ice cream is so seductively successful. I mean, just like three weeks ago, I fell into sin. Mocha toffee crunch. Really good. Yummy. That's why we look forward to events that check off the pleasure box of our heart. That's why some of us like books and some of us like movies. That's why some of us like relationships and some of us are fulfilled in tasks. God's made us all so different. We all have the different capacity for pleasure and accomplishment. The question is not if we're enjoying something. The question is what is our ultimate joy? So, so in this text of scripture, we see the life of Abraham and Sarah, and we see that they obeyed the word of God, but we also see that they don't find their ultimate fulfillment here, but that's a problem because we're made for joy. We're made for pleasure. We're made to, to accomplish. So how does that work? And that's why the question is not whether or not you enjoy. The question is, what is your ultimate joy? So, so we see that not only is, do, are we made for pleasure, but there's a desire for rootedness. Roots of nostalgia go deep, don't they? They are so powerful. I mean, all you got to do is ask um, Daniel Kaminsky about organ, right? All you got to do is, is, is ask me about Idaho. I loved growing up in Idaho. I just like blowing up stuff. I mean, it was so fun. You ask my kids about the North Woods of Wisconsin. We spent some of our, our most formative young years as a family every summer going up in the North Woods of Wisconsin, and it was, it was the, as much of a home as we understood. I mean, the weather during the summertime, it's just, it was just perfect. I mean, that's why you have Southerners, and that's why you have Westerners. Southerners are Southern, and Westerners are Western. Amen. But our desire for situatedness is unique and it can be expressed in so many different ways. Some of us, we just love to organize and beautify, beautify our yard. Some of you, you are addicted to a nice lawn. Others love to organize the kitchen or office space. You know? and, and then the nomad, you know, the nomad that travels everywhere would be like, oh, I don't really need to have any geographical situatedness. But you go look at their suitcase and it's just like everything is, is so, so awkwardly perfect. You see, we all have a sense of wanting to belong. We all have a sense of, of, of nesting. The question is not, do you have a nesting instinct? The, the question is, where is your ultimate rest? And so what is he doing here? He's kind of stirring up the pot. He's, he's, he says, you got to obey, but you can't find your ultimate here. Even though you're made for pleasure and even though you're made for a, a situatedness, people of faith are not anchored to this world. You see, Abraham left Ur and then Haran and a ride in the land promised to him only to discover that the majority of his life, he would not own any of this land. He'd live as a nomad going place to place. He never quite fit. He wasn't from around here. I remember... Um, in all of our travels, we, we love all the different cultures. We were down south in South Carolina, and um, they have this substance called grits. Do you guys know what grits are? 
Okay, Danny Brooks made the men on this hike eat grits. I just didn't, I avoided going over there. And we're in this little rural section of South Carolina, and the, uh, one of the deacons said, you want to come to lunch with uh, breakfast? And I said, sure. And I went over. It's just this hole-in-the-wall, greasy spoon buffet. I mean, it's like, I mean, seriously, it's like a little room of a house, and there's like, 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 like five or six warmers, and you got like bacon, and then you got like, I, I think it's like double deep-fried bacon. And I mean, it's just like this, and then there's grits. And I'm just getting some of everything, because I'm, you know, when you're in Rome, you know, me like Rome. But anyway, so I'm just like trying to, I'm just trying to fit in and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting with the deacons. They're having their little meeting. They're involving me. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, one of the, one of the deacons, he just goes, you ain't from around here. I said, huh? He goes, you don't, you don't chew your grits. You swallow them. <laughs> I'm over there chewing my grits. You ain't from around here. You know, people of faith just, we're just not really from here. Like, I, I love the, the joys. I love the, the ice creams. I love the hikes. I love the car. I love the, I love the show. I love watching that movie. I, I love playing that game, but it's not quite my ultimate. I love my house. I love my yard. I, I love my organization, but it's not, I'm just not really anchored here. The Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, and there'll be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. He's talking about when the children of Israel actually go down into Egypt, and, and what's going on is all through the course of history, God's telling us that God's people aren't really from here. And that's why it's so important for people of faith to understand the power of the temporal on those of us that are mortal. The temporal has so it has such a great influence in our life, doesn't it? I mean, the advertising executives, they understand the power of marketing. Back in 2010, this is the, 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 early, the, the newest one I could find, but the Walt Disney Company and, and the Target Corporation strategically began to market, market to expecting mothers. They, they, in 2010, the average parent spends, spent $6,800 on baby items before the first child's birthday. They said the new baby market, it was worth $36 billion back in 2010. So the Target Corporation began to track customers in a very strategic way through credit cards and loyalty programs and baby registries. And even when they would log in and get the free internet at Target, they'd see where you'd pause and what you'd look at. And they began to build algorithms and they began to figure out and predict, okay, so that this person, because she brought this and she bought this and she bought this, she's in her second trimester. Therefore, we're going to make sure and sent a specific ad and they figured out that if they were too forward it'd freak out the young mothers and so what they'd do is they would just put all the other advertisements but they'd make sure front and center there were diapers at this price or there was this uh, object and they got all this down they, they figured out that they could actually influence when people came into their store advertisers know the power of pleasure and comfort and safety so don't you think pilgrims should know the power of the world? We cannot allow our life to be reduced down to breakfast, work, TV. Breakfast, work, TV. Or jobs, kids, vacation. Jobs, kids, vacation. These mantras are not the mantra of the pilgrim. You see all these things around us, they're just passing. They're probably not sinful in and of themselves. They just can't be our ultimate. 
Are we as pilgrims living with our hands open? You see, by the way, we're never islands in and to ourselves. You see, not only did Isaac and Jacob receive the same covenant promise from God, but they watched Abraham model his life. There's, there's a, a very unscientific law of discipleship, but it, it kind of goes like this. Those that we disciple, this includes our children, they have a tendency to love what we love. I, um, I'm, pretty, I, I'm just so thankful for my father-in-law. In many ways, he lived a pilgrim life. And you look at my, uh, my in-laws and, and all the frustrations with in-laws, outlaws, right? But I'm so thankful for Christy's siblings and how the, the majority of them, they just, they just live like, like their dad lived, just very loose with the things around them. And the reason being is because people of faith never quite put their deepest roots down in this world because they're never ultimately satisfied with this. Because down deep, the people of faith are longing to be with God. How many of you are thankful there's a better place than Salt Lake City, Utah? Do any of you ever get a whiff of heaven? You're just reading something. You're just singing a song. You're just coming over a crest and you, you see a beautiful landscape. You, you just enjoy some, some little treasure here, but the little treasure turns into a, a springboard to think about heaven. The, the little pleasure here just turns into a springboard to consider the ultimate pleasure there. In this text, he said this, Abraham was looking for somewhere better, even better than Ur, even better than Haran, and even better than Canaan. It says he was actually looking for a city that has foundations, a city that does... For, for me, I live in a fifth wheel trailer. He, it'd be like this. He's looking for a place that, that doesn't have wheels. It has roots. And it's not just roots here that crumble with the next earthquake. They're these heavenly roots that will never shatter whose designer and builder is God. Proper understanding of this world will, and the world to come will give us the capacity for maximum ministry. You see, what's going on here is this warning. You notice what he did. He didn't say, don't eat ice cream. He, he didn't say, don't watch that show. He, he didn't say that. He just said, no, this isn't your home. Don't let that be your ultimate, ultimate. Because what happens is when I understand this world and I see the, the world to come and that's the lens by which I'm, I'm doing things, then, then guess what? I can have maximum ministry. I can live a life of faith very practically because when I understand that everything temporal will eventually pass away, I'm not devastated when it does. So when somebody breaks my toys, I'm not mad. If my ultimate security is a possession or a relationship, my selfish fears will debilitate me when my idol's threatened. When my security is based on a city that's foundations that cannot be shaken and it's designed by God, I will love people even when they don't like me. But this proper anticipation allows me to look at the present through the lens of the future. You see, not only can I let go of the things that are temple, but I can invest in the things that are eternal. When I'm thinking properly about the future, I, I'm able to pour myself into people and spiritual initiatives around me. You see, a church that is full of a people that are longing for eternity have no problem filling ministry slots. 
Like when, when, when Gospel Hope as a whole is living a life of faith, they say, okay, God, what's your word and how can I obey it? Okay, Lord, how, how can I navigate this world and not be too anchored into it? And, and how can I just pour myself into people and the people that live all around in Riverton and South Jordan and Daybreak? And how can I just live this life? What can I do? What, what spiritual initiatives does, does my local church want to do to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in, in the, those areas around me? I want to participate in that. And what it does is it, it kind of breaks your affections being anchored to here to allow your affections to be anchored above so that Colossians 3 verse 2 says, let your attention and your affection be on things above. Let your heart compass needle constantly point to your true home. It's really saying this, put an eternity filter on your day. People of faith make choices about their job, their home, their possessions, their diversions in light of their real home so let's wrap up this point with some application questions are you holding on to anything in this world too tightly it's okay for pilgrims to own possessions but it's not okay for possessions to own pilgrims a man is no fool to give that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose Jim Elliot we can make idols over non-sinful good things. Can I just ask a question? What are you afraid will be taken from you? I actually studied this about three weeks ago. That phrase right there, I've been churning. What am I afraid is going to be taken away? Second point of application, how could you today cultivate a love for the eternal? How can you really do that, Colossians 3? When you've been, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. I, I, the question of application would be, can you think of any way that you could cultivate more of a love for the eternal like today? Well, we see people of faith, they obey the word of God. People of faith are not anchored too deeply here. And people of faith focus on the faithfulness of God. Verse 11 and 12, they trust the promises of God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful and promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as, descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Sarah is counted alongside the rest of the hall of faith because she considered him faithful who promised. Now, I don't know if you've done this recently, but if you were to take the book of Genesis and you were to read about the life of Sarah, would, would you think of her as a woman of faith or one that faltered? Which would you consider? She doesn't initially look like a person of faith because the, the material recorded in Genesis reveals all her failures. And, and yet when we look at her story more carefully, do you know what? Her story is actually a story of grace. Now, most of often when people reference Sarah, they're, they're going to do so in light of her connection to Abraham. I mean, even in this passage, the few phrases that talk of Sarah, they're buried deeply in a section about Abraham, yet nowhere in Scripture does the faith of one take the necessity away of another having individual faith. And in fact, the phrase Sarah herself right there in this text, Sarah herself speaks to the need of individual faith. But for there to be an individual faith, there needs to be a time when God reveals our lack of faith. 
I think that some of us have a, a highly inflated opinion of ourselves. You know that? We, we think we're really good people that, that do bad every once in a while. We, we think of ourselves as really good people that, that falter every once in a while. But, but what do we see here is God includes a picture of somebody that failed a lot so we can get to grace. You know, I think it's easy to judge saints of old, but I think it's good for us to remind ourselves that Sarah's life was not an easy one. Her first mention was Genesis 11, verse 30. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no children. But it's during this time that God promised her husband, chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. Verse 7, and your offspring I'll give this land. And now in, in chapter 13, verse 15 of Genesis, and all the land you see, I'll give it to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that, uh, one, uh, it, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. But Sarah couldn't have kids. And yet she had to listen to all these promises and she had no ability to change her condition of barrenness. What would, what would you be like if that was your life? In fact, as just doing life and church ministry, man, a lot of couples wrestle with this explicit application. And it feels lonely. And you wonder. But imagine not just enduring a desire not obtained, but imagine actually hearing that God is actually wanting to use Abraham, your husband, and yet here she is. Can you understand her temptation to become cynical? Can you have compassion towards Sarah? Can you understand the struggle to believe? In fact, Abraham wondered if things would ever change. He said in chapter 15 of Genesis, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? I continued childless. Behold, you've not given me any offspring. <clears throat> How long could Sarah bear the pressure? God promised children, but she couldn't have any. Now we get to Genesis 16. If I can't bring about children from my own body, then I'll arrange to have them through my servant Hagar. At this point, Sarah's not living a life of faith. She's scheming. She's strategizing of how she has to help God accomplish his plan. By the time we get to Genesis 18, verse 12, we find that Sarah was past the age of childbearing. It says in, in verse 12 of chapter 18 that she moved from barrenness to now deadness. And so it says this, so Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out, after I'm no longer experiencing the cycle of woman, it is post-metapausal, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Shall I have intimate relationships again? I mean, we're past that age. In fact, Romans 4, verse 19 says that Sarah's womb is dead. But do you know that God uses circumstances to reveal where we really are? Do you know God uses circumstances to deconstruct us? He actually pulls us apart. You know, I wish I was more spiritual. Anyone else understand what I mean by that? How many of you can think of at least one circumstance in your life over the last six months where God has used this circumstance to reveal who you really are. Do you know God loves you so much he's not going to let you trust in your own righteousness? He loves you too much for you to have some pseudo-faux faith. He dis 
deconstructs it so he can build it. I think some of you right now are going through horrendous, horrendous trials. Like you can't see your way. You don't like it. You don't want to be in it. And you're faltering. Can I just, can I just share with you, as God peels you open, it's really so that he can piece things together. In Genesis 18, he comes back and God says to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. What would you do if you were 90 and you heard that? Sarah laughs. The Lord said to Abraham, why did, you, why did Sarah laugh? If anyone else would have said it to me, I would have been like, why not? Why did Sarah say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At this appointed time, I will, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And the Lord said, no, you did laugh. By the way, if there was a, if there was a man that came to a Middle Eastern tent, um, he would never address the wife. That's, that's, why the, that's why the language is the way it is. That's why, that's why God's having a conversation about Sarah and to Sarah through Abraham. But do you know what? It took a, it took a very intimate turn. It would be inappropriate for anyone else to do this, but God took an intimate turn because God knows every one of his children. And so here this turn comes. So he's talking to Sarah through Abraham. And Sarah's like, I didn't laugh. And God says, no, you did laugh, Sarah. He could have skipped this conversation. God could have skipped all this. We didn't have to know all this detail. We didn't have to, understand, we didn't have to hear all this. He, he could have silently made the womb of Sarah fruitful. But can I tell you something? Sarah is important to God. And sometimes, in the middle of our struggling, we feel like we, we're not important. Now, can I tell you, it could be you're struggling with some life-altering temptation. It could be that you've got some debilitating sin, some habit, some portion of your character that seems like it's never going to change. Can I tell you, just like, just like a woman, Sarah, who for 90-plus years, it was ingrained into her thought process that she could never change and that God wasn't to be trusted God cares about you too. You see, this is going deeper. God just wasn't, this wasn't a health and wealth gospel. This isn't just a little like, hey, do this, do this, and everything's okay. No, God's actually taking the time to pull out her lack of faith so that Sarah too can believe the promises of God. You see, God tears down our lack of faith. He builds our faith and he connects our faith to others. I don't know if this is original with John Piper, but I heard him say this many times. When God does a work in one person, he's doing a work in a million. Abraham and Sarah were a dynamic duo. You know what? Without both, the Abrahamic covenant would not be fulfilled. I, I, I don't know how to say this, but there was not like some divine stork that came. There's Abraham and there's Sarah. They're both people of faith. 
They were both needed for the Abrahamic covenant to be fulfilled. And so that's why it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive after she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. And you know what? This is such a great segue for us just to consider that those that God's brought into our life, God wants that person to be sanctified and God's gonna sanctify you through that person. (laughs) Their ups and downs are your ups and downs, like it or not, right? I mean, there are things that probably are very difficult for Christy because of my own weakness of character. And yet my ups and my downs, they, they connect into Christy. And guess what? Her ups and downs, they connect into me. And God gave me the exact spouse I needed so that I could believe the promises of God and see that God is faithful. And God uses our faith in the lives of others. Wherefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. God used this couple of faith to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant and there would be blessings for generation after generation after generation so that Galatians says this. Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted him as righteousness. Know then that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture for saying that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see the faith of Abraham and the faith of Sarah are the reason why we're even here. And in God's providence and in God's plan, The seed of Abraham results in Jesus Christ, God the Son, dying on a cross, taking our sin, so that when we find out our righteousness is not not enough, we can have the righteousness of God through Jesus. And that really brings us to the conclusion, are you righteous before God? Romans says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it's counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. He's saying if you work, you expect a paycheck. Because to the one who does not work, but believes him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as unrighteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. You know what he's saying? He's saying as you go through this life, just like Abraham, he heard the voice of God and he obeyed, right? Um... He, he, he didn't anchor down in this world, right? But even at the end, do you know what we began to see? We began to see that this, this couple, faltering in their faith, needed a word from God. And we too, all these years later, do not have the capacity in and of ourselves to save ourselves or make our own righteousness. We need the righteousness of one whose name is Jesus so that by grace you're saved through faith, not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone could boast. Do you have saving faith through Jesus Christ alone? And one last paragraph of application. Gospel Hope Church. Last night I got on your website. I was just looking at your core values. About six down is one called evident faith. At Gospel Hope Church, we understand that without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
we are willing to be a risk-taking, sacrificial, and in the eyes of the world, apparently illogical people because we know that the just shall live by faith. We want to obey God regardless of the cost. And even if we don't know all the details, we refuse to dig our roots into that which is passing away. And we will prayerfully invest our families, our finances, our future in the work of God because we trust the promises of God. If you are in Christ, then do not waste your life finding your ultimate here. Live it in light of there. And all God's people say, let's pray. Father, Help us to be people of faith. Lord, thank you for broken examples of those that have gone before us. Oh, Lord, we look at Abraham and Sarah and, and we put on the rose-colored glasses and they look like they're awesome and untouchable. And then we read your word and we realize they're broken and we're just overwhelmed that you would use them. And yet, Lord, when we then look at their brokenness and we look at the reality of our own life, we're like, wow, me too. But Lord... We want to hear your voice and obey your voice. We want to not be anchored here. And we want to trust the one who is faithful.